This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located at 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. And that is Weird Al Yankovic's Amish Paradise here on the Radio of Horror Network. Welcome to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows in the horror, science fiction, and fantasy genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Zeneca. And tonight's episode, we have a two-parter for the Friday the 13th. The first two-parter, uh, I believe they do probably one of these a season, if I'm correct. It's episodes 19 and 20. And Mr. Zeneca has the opposite synopsis for us for The Quilt of Hawthorne and Awakened, which is, I guess, a nice way of saying part two. The Quilt of Hathor originally aired May 2nd, 1988, and The Quilt of Hathor, The Awakening uh, originally aired May 9th, 1988. Mickey and Ryan pose as members of a religious sect to track down a patchwork quilt that is thought to have deadly powers. Ryan then learns that a woman is using this deadly quilt to murder members of the religious sect, of, uh, but the tightly knit group blames him for the killings. Ba, ba, ba. And that's pretty much the plot of both of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's a two-parter. I think it was originally aired as a, you know, kind of a, it could be put together as like this TV movie. It was filmed like that, so uh, it definitely feels like a Friday the 13th, made-for-TV movie. Yes, uh, I just kind of wish they hadn't gone with um, these two episodes for what they were trying to do for a Friday the 13th TV series made-for-TV movie. Uh, yeah. I was yeah. not a fan of these at all. The idea of the quilt, the thing that they're trying to recover, totally fine with it, totally love with it. Okay, great idea, new thing. But everything we're about to get into, this is one of my least favorite of the episodes. We open up what looks like, at the very beginning, because I don't actually remember this episode uh, um, from when I originally watched the show, so I thought we were in the past going forward into the future with the uh, the gang at the antique store. Then we then I suddenly realized, oh wait, this is all taking place in 1988. 
Yes, uh, even though everything is based on 1890s technology because these are pentites, you know, a made-up sect of loosely based on the Amish and Mennonites, it, it feels like it's in the past because they're using thee and thou and thor, but it, it's current day. The, the biggest question I had were who are the penitites, and you just said these are these aren't real. These are not a real group of people, and it's why did no. we make them up? The Amish aren't going to watch television, so we're not going well, to offend anybody. No, I, I think it was basically sorry. I think it was done because when you combine like traits from the Amish, the Mennonite, Puritan, uh, Shaker. All of these different types of uh, religious sects, uh, you put them together, and if you create something new, you can actually change a bit of their rules. If you were to go strictly by Mennonite or Amish, you'd have to go by their structural social rules. And some of the rules that are actually in this episode, or this two-parter episode, are not rules based on either of those, um, you know, originating factors. The fact that most of what you see on the show, the Pentites, they have a social structure that values the woman's place, like the wife of, you know, uh, the reverend is actually holds just as much power as he does, and that she were to take over the colony in the event of his death, you know, that type of thing is something that you couldn't say if you were actually going to be basing it on pure Amish, Mennonite, or Puritan values. I used to work uh, in loss prevention, um, and the store I worked in had a little book rack near uh, the back of the store, which were filled with, like, religious books. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean Bibles, but I mean, like, story books, you know what I mean? Or, like, self-help books, but, you know, you look to God for the help. Like and, the chicken of the soul type stuff? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So some of that, and then also what looked like if Nicholas Sparks wrote... Amish or Mennonite? Mennonite and the Amish are kind of the same, right? A little bit, yeah. The the differences between the Amish and the Mennonite is uh, the the Amish are way stricter. Okay, so those type of people. Um, Mm -hmm. And one one in particular I picked up looked like something Chatting Tatum would have been cast in because once upon a time Chatting Tatum was being cast in nothing but these Nicholas Sparks style romance novels, right? And this Mm -hmm. story was about a guy whose car breaks down. And he gets found by the 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 you know, Mennonites of the Amish, and brought to the farm, and like you know they nurse him back to health because that's you know kind of like what they would do, um, yeah. also kind of like what normal people would do, but also normal people would also bring him to a hospital probably. So they help nurse him back to health, and he begins to fall in love with the farmer's daughter, who's like you know on the cover you're like this is clearly a model who took a job, um, you know, and mm-hmm. this guy looks like Chatting Tatum or he looks like anyone else from a Nicholas Sparks novel, and they're like embracing each other where he's like you know like in the, in the in the top of the book or whatever they're embracing each other it looks like they're about to kiss in the bottom or whatever he's leaning against the post and she's like leaning against the barn or whatever their head against it and it's just about how like they fall in love and that's kind of like similar to what i think about with this plot line whereas like of course ryan and mickey don't crash their car they go there on purpose under the guise of being sarah's like cousins <laughs> by the way mickey's wearing like a red or green dress she's wearing a colored dress in this or 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 outfit i mean i don't know if they call them dresses but and everyone else is basically in black and white doesn't that seem a little like oh is she from like where they have telephones is that like where your cousin is from well sister it, sarah <laughs> yeah sister the uh sarah good sarah good that's actually right. does say that this is her sister's kin so you know they're from the outside and so they don't really you hide that fact, they just try to plane down their clothes. Yeah. So, you know, Mickey has her hair in this beautiful braid, but her red hair just stands out, and it's like, it's obvious she's not a part of this, you know, sect in any sort of way, shape, or form. Um, and Ryan's clothes, he's still wearing jeans. So they're not really trying to fit in completely until Ryan goes full pentite and does the whole, you know, flat hat suspenders thing, you know? The the plot line um, with the outsiders being in this world also reminds me of a movie. Uh, it starred Tim Allen and Kirstie Alley. Did you ever see it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, 
no. Tim Allen? Tim Allen and Christy Alley play a couple on the verge of divorce, or they're, they've, they've, they're, they're getting divorced, and they just have to go to the lawyer's office to finish it, and they crash their car, and they end up in Amish country, and they pretend to be these, like, cousins that are supposed to be coming to visit. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know, hilarity ensues. Hilarity you know? ensues, they end up falling back in love with each other. You know, Kirstie Alley's like a designer, so she tries to convince the Amish woman, like, don't you, like, wake up one day and just want to go, I want to wear plaid today or something. Like, so she convinces them to convince the elders that, you know, maybe the, just start introducing, you know, their, their the color into their clothes and not everything be black and white. That would be pretty difficult because if it's an Amish sect, uh, they don't even use buttons. Buttons are too fancy. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. This also <laughs> reminded me of Children of the Corn, too. Why? Just because it's a religious sect? Yeah, okay, by the way, the name of the movie was, was For Richer or Poor. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, they're millionaires, by the way, they're millionaires. Brad and uh, Brad and Carolyn, miserable, and they decide to call it quits, and that's when they crash their car. Uh, oh, they're on the run because of a, a, a false uh, tax return. Ooh. So they're on the run from the, SC, uh, from, the, uh, from the IRS, and they crash their car, and they decide to hide out with the Amish. All right. Yeah. I wouldn't think the Irish would be that... Uh, that big of a threat. <laughs> no, so that's why they hide out among the Irish because you know it's the perfect cover while they're trying to get away from the IRS. Oh wow! But the uh, the children of the corn they all wore the same type of clothes as well. Well, that's true. What's funny is that also downtown in Massachusetts we have Old Sturbridge Village, and of course you live in Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania is Amish yep. country. It is Amish country. Uh, Amish and Mennonite. Uh, there is. Um, let's see. I have some facts here. By the way, uh, I'm sure Amish country was probably the only place not affected by the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, they don't pay attention to any of that. Yeah. <laughs> they don't watch TV. The last time uh, we talked, I was rooting for the Patriots, and the Patriots lost the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, it's crazy out here. Crazy. We'll, we'll get to some more of the facts about the Amish as we go along, but uh, okay. I, 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 I love how they say re- singing and dancing is also evil and filled with sin. You know, some of these religious sects, it's like that. You know, um, just like competitive sports is also a sin. Um, Having anything too competitive or anything that glorifies self, and you can say that singing and dancing do that. So um, some of these religious sects, they don't really approve of singing and dancing. That is crazy. Well, you know, I have a whole bunch of uh, Amish and Mennonite facts, and this whole episode, these two episodes was actually filmed in a shaker community that is uh, used for touristy stuff in the summertime, and since it was winter, it was closed, so they got to use that uh, in the freezing, freezing temperatures. So the gang is uh, rallied to go pick up the quilt at the um, from the, uh, the, the, the uh, Amish kind of wannabe fake beard people, which, by the way, all the men in this wear the worst fake beard makeup ever. Yeah, you could actually see the glue. It's ridiculous. Um, also, Jack stays behind a lot in this episode, which is kind of strange. I mean, I know we've had well, episodes where he's barely in it, but this is definitely one of those as well, that he's just kind of like hanging out at the antique store. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, this is one of those episodes where their mailing system, you know, their little mailers to find the cursed objects, actually works. And Sarah Good uh, comes to them talking about the quilt. And so the quilt of Hathor is kind of a white, black, red quilt. Lots of uh, occult symbolism on it, but it's not like true occult symbolism. It's just basically pentacles and uh, four-legged men all over it. It's actually kind of a pretty quilt in and of itself, but uh, she says that when she slept underneath it, she got aroused by these feelings that she didn't really know she had. And makes me wonder exactly what those dreams were. <laughs> well, my question is, is every time she has a dream, and, and by the way, anytime anybody has a dream using this quilt, because the quilt does change hands, why do we, why are we transported to the Victorian era? I think that was just Effie's uh, version of her dreamscape. But... You know, this, like, Victorian, Edwardian uh, ball where there's dancing and music and feasting and all the things that she's not supposed to have. Like her cleavage showing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but don't forget, when the quilt changes hands to the second person who uses it, that person also dreams in the Victorian era. 
Well, no. Yes. It does in the beginning of the dream, but then when it, it the quilt moves completely over to him, it changes into an outdoor scape in, in their current time. And that was like his dream. So when uh, Josiah actually like dips Effie and breaks her back doing it, that's inside the dream, but that dreamscape is basically his own, you know, reality that he just is dreaming about his reality. I think that's where the the transition, like, the, the quilt was covering both of them, and then he moved over to a chair, taking the quilt with him, and then the dream went into what he wants instead of what she was wanting. Also, you have to admit that you are you must be extremely powerful in order to control your own dreams like that. Well, you know, some people have that control. Yeah, they can lose a dream. And uh, I'm sure that the quilt does enormous help in that realm. <laughs> you know, if you can literally fall asleep in a second and then uh, say, like, okay, well, uh, the last thing you think about is this jealous person that you that you want to kill and then in the dream they appear you know that that's gonna be pretty powerful yeah i mean it it goes beyond the scope of what the quilt should be able to do it, it borders on like the person basically becoming like freddy krueger and killing the person in their sleep so the two people share the dream together and that's how they die it doesn't seem like that, that it should work that way I don't know. Dreams are weird. You know, there's there's always said where if you die in your dream, you die in real life if you don't wake up. And hence, yeah, that hence, seems to be happening, you know. Yeah. One person falls out of bed and then breaks her neck, even though the fall is only about two feet. I wonder if the writers are going, hey, you know what's popular right now? That Nightmare on Elm Street movie just came out with part four, The Dream Master. We should probably copy that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Also, I cannot possibly believe that um, after we see how powerful the quilt is and Ryan meets this uh, lovely young woman, he immediately falls that hard over heels for her. She's very pretty. I, I have to admit, she's very pretty. Oh, Zeneca, I think and, it's just really she, forced. <laughs> well, she has that innocence about her. And as would any youthful woman in this type of religious sect, they would have that type of innocence about them. And they just had this, you know... Upon first gaze, you know, love at first sight type of thing, and you know they flirt a little, and you know, then his, then her jealous fiance Matthew, you know, tries to kill Ryan. How many times in this two two part episode? Uh, at least a uh, yeah, at least a few times in this. I mean, he goes completely ballistic. And again, I understand that the the cursed object makes people go crazy, but that guy has no connection to that cursed object at all, so there's no reason for him to snap and go psychotic like that. If he's brought up into this Amish belief way, violence is not their way. So that yeah. also doesn't make any sense. There's just so many things about these two episodes that it absolutely could not stand, and, 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 and this is something else. Ryan's forced love, the, the jealous lover. I mean, is jealousy really something that permeates into the... Uh, this Amish-type community that much? I mean, there is occasion. You know, it, it's tried... That you can try to stamp down jealousy as much as you can, but in any sort of community, things will happen. You know, there are still babies born out of wedlock. There are still people that have addictions. There are still people that get jealous. It, it's no different from modern life. It just has less distraction so Matthew attacking Ryan pretty much at every single turn you know and the only time that he gets an actual hit on Ryan is when he inadvertently unknowingly uh, takes a pitchfork and stabs him while Ryan's uh, hiding out in a hay bale or a, a hay pile you know so stab the pitchfork goes right into his arm and he didn't even know he was doing it but you know, he would have done it if he knew Ryan was there. So, like, he w he attacked Ryan with a razor, attacked him with a rock, attacked him with a pitchfork. They had a gladiator show-style face-off, which was kind of kind of freaky to watch. Uh, this triangle of wood um, planks set up around a roaring fire, and then they had to battle each other with sticks 
kind of like the show Gladiator. Do you remember that show? Yeah. Yeah. American Gladiator. American Gladiator, yeah. So uh, they had to beat each other until someone falls into the coals and burns alive. And uh, Ryan wins by just knocking him to the other side of the plank because there's no coals on that side because that side has spectators. You know, and humiliates Matthew. But every single turn, Matthew is just trying to screw Ryan because uh, Laura, his fiance, doesn't really like him. You know? She's been betrothed to him since she was seven. So, yeah. Yeah, she does He's, She does not want that. No, no. He's he's a, a dork. He's jealous. He's angry. Like you would not want to marry that. The actress who plays her, uh, who play who who um, the actress who plays the woman that Ryan is madly in love with, uh, Effie Stokes, uh, has I remember from several other film uh, television series like Kung Fu the Legend. Are you, are, you, are you talking Effie the villain or Laura? Because Laura is the one that he's madly in love with. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I I I I met Laura, but I accidentally uh, was talking about Effie. But uh, the villain Effie, uh, I remember from um, several other things, such as uh, Kung Fu: The Legend Continues, where she plays Karen Sims, uh, and she was the Norn on um, Lost Girl. If you watched that show, no, no, I don't watch that. <laughs> Lost Girl's not your thing, really. Uh, I like the illustrated no- uh, novel. Oh, okay. Lost, Lost Girls. No, Lost Girl is a is a sci-fi show. Oh, then no. Okay. I don't actually have TV. I have to look everything up online. <laughs> um, what's also funny is that the uh, girl who plays uh, uh, Laura also played Lori in Cupid's Quiver. Oh, I did not. Re- I did not. Uh, I, I it did not uh, come into my awareness that that was the same person. Our villainess ha- uh, will appear in two more episodes in seasons two and three. Cool. Yeah. The director of the episode, Timothy Bond, we've talked about before, uh, has di- had directed a few episodes of this uh, and would go on to direct episodes of Goosebumps and Mutant X, another favorite show of mine that I've mentioned a few times. Yeah. <laughs> Since this was a two-part episode, it was all filmed all at once. In uh, Elise Wax's book, Curious Goods Behind the Scenes of Friday the 13th, the series, uh, she mentions that they have 14 days to actually film this instead of the usual, like, eight the quilt of Hathor, Hathor itself is actually an occult thing, so let me give you some info on that. Uh, Hathor is an Egyptian goddess of beauty, love, and pleasure, and associated with cows, um, usually depicted as either a cow with a solar disc uh, on its head, or a woman with cow horns, or a cow head holding a sistrum, which is an Egyptian rattle. Now, Hathor uh, is linked to Osiris and Isis, is one of the, like, the major gods or goddesses uh, within the Egyptian culture, and she is seen as kind of a mother goddess. So, um, you know, since the, the cow is a very revered uh, creature in Egyptian mythology. So, the quilt itself has no Egyptian characters no Egyptian connection. I don't know why they chose the name Hathor for it, but uh, it does have some meaning behind it. The four-legged men figure that's actually quilted onto the quilt, there's no basis in occult reality for that. The closest I found was the uh, Leonardo da Vinci's Vitruvian Man, uh, which, of course, has depiction of four arms and four legs because it's a proportion exercise but uh, yeah that's the closest I could get uh, the quilt really was just kind of a make up <laughs> one thing is kind of curious about the quilt though is at the end of the first episode uh, leaving it on a cliffhanger they find out that the quilt that they were managed to get away from the colony is a fake so at some point in time, Effie would have had to quilt an entire new quilt. And those things take a long freaking time to, to make. I don't know how she could have made it without anyone noticing. You know, Amish quilts, like here in, in Pennsylvania, we have uh, Lancaster County. And there's a lot of Arm- Amish vendors and stores and whatnot. 
And you can buy Amish quilts in like this type of complexity. And the one that they show for the Quilt of Hathor probably cost about $800. Amish quilts go for anywhere from $600 to $1,500, depending on the complexity and the design. Um, and the quilt that was used to wrap Effie's body in, in the uh, second part of the episode, uh, that one is kind of a, a very popular pattern called the wedding ring bouquet. And that one... For a size for that bed, it would probably be about $1,200. So they're not cheap, and they take a long time to make. I don't know how Effie would have found the time to actually make a fake one just to give uh, Mickey and then keep her real one with her. I don't know. That's just one of those plot holes. I'm like, ah, how long would she have been making that? And for what reason? I don't know. It baffles Questions. the mind. <laughs> Too too many questions. Too many questions. It 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 does seem kind of weird that like anybody would keep that quilt around, especially if they're you know everything's about Satan and everything good is bad and you know as high and mighty as they are. Yeah, I mean you know you look at this quilt and it's obviously has some sort of occult uh, connection. You know the, the pentagrams on it. It obviously has that. I don't know why Sarah Good would have purchased it in the first place. But she did, even though she said, I've always thought it was evil. <laughs> it's attractive. It certainly is an attractive quilt. But um, why Effie would make another one for no reason, it, it was kind of weird to me. Now, Reverend Joshua, do you recognize him? Josiah? Josiah, I'm uh, sorry. Yes. I don't know. That that fake beard kind of throws me off. I, I recognize the eyes, but I couldn't place it. All right, maybe you recognize this clip. And I said, please, you have even failed to teach me English, but uh, I am much practicing while you sleep. Where is the big bomb going? The big bomb is going to the... What? Uh, are you say Casabianca? No, no, don't tell me. I know. It's white out. A present for President Roosevelt. Tell me, do you think I could be President of the United States sometime? Fifteen! Wait! Listen to me! No time, flyboy. You can travel cheaply as one, you sick bastard! Now stop the launch! He was the Red Skull in the 1990s Captain America movie. Wow! He was the Italian Red Skull, the villain of Captain America in the the god-awful Captain America movie from 1990. It came out in very few theaters. It came out bigger overseas. Why the hell would you only release a movie called Captain America overseas? Um, this movie starred uh, Ronnie Cox and uh, J.D. Salinger, the writer of Capture the Rise Sun, as Steve Rogers, Captain America. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you can find this film on Blu-ray from Shout Factory, by the way. <laughs> Give it a watch. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, he was also um, uh, Sam Beckett, uh, uh, Kate Beckett's father on Castle, if you watched Castle. You know, it is on my to-do list. I've not yet seen it. It's a it's a fantastic show. Uh, uh, Nathan Fillion's uh, best show since Firefly. That's the only reason I'd watch it, is for Nathan Fillion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but <laughs> I was looking at that guy going, yeah, and I'm looking at his name going, I know this guy from somewhere. And then I looked at his IMDb, and I was just like, oh, he's the Red Skull. And again, before we have the glutton of superhero movies that we have right now, and every five minutes is a new one coming out on the day we put this podcast up, the Black Panther will be in theaters. We didn't have all those films. We had Superman movies, which had died out at this point. Batman had just begun. We had one Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie, and like reruns of The Incredible Hulk and Wonder Woman. That was it. So when Captain America the movie came out in 1990, it was a huge deal for me as a child. Nowadays, we are spoiled with the number of superhero movies that come out every few months, or how many television series we can turn into every single week to catch our favorite superheroes fighting villains and, and other comic book adventures. Yeah, because those properties are being bought up left and right. 
Well, they're not so much being bought up left and right. It's the studios who actually have owned them for years are finally waking up going, you know what makes money? Superheroes. Let's turn it into a TV show. And look at that. Nine times out of ten, the superhero stuff is fantastic. No pun intended. Uh, for every Thor, Ragn- yes, for every Thor, Ragnarok, and Guardians of the Galaxy, we get we do get stinkers like the Justice League. But the Black yeah. Panther has sold out everywhere I live. Oh my god, I'm so looking forward to that one. I mean, it looks so good. Seriously, last year because of what happened in the White House, we needed Wonder Woman badly. Yes, we yes. needed. Um, you know, like Atomic Blonde, not a superhero movie, but still a very female empowered uh, film, uh, spy film. You know, we need, we really do need as a society a film like Black Panther, like we needed Wonder Woman. Representation matters, man. Oh, yeah. Moving on back to the horror of Friday the 13th. I just had to throw that in there because I'm a huge fan of that shitty Captain America movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh. the, the, there's a question in the show about. Uh, the this colony struggling financially or having some sort of co- conflict within the, the societal structures uh, along with the upper echelon of the people, you know, in the conglomerate that kind of controls them. Yeah, they want to see the books. They want to see the books, and Josiah doesn't want to show the books. So it's never really released whether the colony is going broke or, you know, what else is going on that is he's in control of that he's trying to you know maintain that iron fist of control and in the end uses the the blanket for that purpose but that, never really gotten to that point i was kind of curious about that that plot is almost completely dropped um in favor of like uh josiah needs a wife because you can't run the colony without a wife it's been six months since your wife died time to get it with another woman why? Yep. So they can keep... I mean, is it so they can keep their traditions alive with new children? Uh, well, they mentioned in there that if he were to die, then the wife would take over his duties and become reverend. So I think in this case, because he actually did die without a wife, uh, it the duties passed to his daughter, Laura. So... The need to actually have a wife was kind of unclear, but it seems that because the wife and the husband share power as like this power alpha couple in the in the you know pentite uh, pentite society, then he needed to take wife as soon as possible. And then every single time that he tried to be betrothed, first to a a, a woman that is the age of his daughter, and then. Yeah, second to an older woman, but every single time that he tries to get betrothed, Effie just kills kills them. You know, uses the quilt and kills them. The she wants it, damn it. Yeah, she wants to become um, the uh, next uh, Mrs. Reverend. Um, the one, the biggest creepiest thing that you mentioned earlier about Matthew is that he says to her when he tries to kill Ryan and then uh, fight Ryan over the pit of death is that I have watched you grow into womanhood. Ew! Gross! It means you have been, like... You have been betrothed to this woman since before her probably first period. Yes, because she was seven when she was betrothed to Oh, yeah, that's right. She does say the age. That is disgusting. I'm sorry, but I have no interest in a woman I've seen grow into womanhood especially if I'm not the same age as her. That's different, okay? You grow up together, you start getting your hormones, and you start growing into, like, you know, your, your, your who you are. So you do see your, you know, a woman you have been friends with forever grow into mm-hmm. womanhood, and your attractions start growing beyond friendship because, you know, that happens. But that's just weird and gross and disgusting. And did you ever see the Twilight movies? That happens with uh, Jacob when he imprints on the baby of... Uh, Edward Ugh. and uh, Bella, remember? Ugh. He's like, I'm going to get with this baby one day. Ah! Uh, yeah. That's no, exactly a, a what that says. Are creepy. And I do not understand why stupid people like the Twilight movies. I'm sorry. <laughs> they're, they're trash. Um, yeah. The arranged marriage thing, uh, if, if you remember also in the episode that Ryan finds a dirty magazine amongst Matthew's stuff, so he's been spanking it this whole time, 
thinking about Laura as she's growing into a woman. Well, yeah, mm. it's you know, closed society. Oh. You know? <laughs> oh, that whole thing just made my skin crawl. Yeah, yeah, you know, but all right. Um, so in this episode, we actually have seven murders, which is higher than our average. A little bit, yeah. There was a there was a lot more people killed in these two episodes, uh, which I do consider to be like one whole story compared to like just yeah. two separate episodes. Um, very unusual. Yeah, there was three in the first episode and four in the second, but again, you know, we're doing this all this as one continuous episode because it is, um, and. Everything that pretty much happens, the drama that is within the the religious sect itself and the influence of Ryan and, and him being accused because he's an outsider and all of these murders started when you got here. Uh, it, it seems as though they are so cut off from the actual rule of law of the land that they are on that there's not even a thought of bringing in any sort of actual, you know, country authorities. Since he's an outsider, you know, have him taken away by the police or something, but no, it's they, they deal with everything within their community, even to the point of burning someone on the stake. That seems so extreme. Yeah, that's, um, in, uh, or you're talking about, like, the end of part two, right? Yes, the that, end of part two. That just, what? No, that would never fly today. Not even in, like, the Amish community. I don't no, know how the no. Amish deal with, like... I, I haven't heard a lot of... uh been reading a lot of the Amish newspapers, but I don't know how the Amish deal with something so horrible of a crime that it involves the actual real court and laws. They do actually involve the uh, court system of the land uh, on serious matters. So when people are murdered... When uh, there are serious crimes, they do call in uh, the state forces. But for minor offenses, they they will take care of them within house. Something like this, you know, seven or six murders, that would have been something major. There's a big thing with fire in this episode with Ryan. Notice that he's got to fight Matthew over the pit of fire, and then he's going to be burned at the stake like a witch. Yeah. Although they don't really have electricity or any of the other things, you know, guns or any of that. So I guess fire would be the closest weapon they, they would have access to. Unless, you know, you wanted to battle with pitchforks. Every time someone mentions Satan, I keep thinking of uh, the church lady from um, uh, uh, Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Satan? Could it be Satan? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that. And you cavorting your little bodies... And singing songs to that horse, uh, tingling all your naughty bits. I I I, 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 I do yeah. I do need to go back to what Ryan sees in her because um, Ryan is into rock and roll, baseball, and comic books, and I gotta believe that he cannot just see that this woman is just so pretty. He needs to be with her. No. He, <laughs> he did mention that the the simple life that they lead seem to really kind of fulfill him. And I could see how that is. You know, he would be basically running away from his responsibilities to the store, responsibilities of gathering all these cursed objects, and just focusing on, like, fixing a roof and, you know, raising a barn and stuff like that. It's very linear thinking. Task-oriented. You complete the task. There's a sense of purpose and and fulfillment just in the completion of a task. I can understand that. What I don't understand is is if he would have been so readily wanting to bow all of his held spiritual or, you know, atheistic values and then just go completely all in on Jesus Christ. That seems a little weird. Yeah, no, it, it just... But you do weird things for people that you love. What yes, he and he loves this girl and doesn't even know her. I'm sorry. I just, I don't, I don't. That That is the biggest problem I have with this, these episodes. Young love. Also, when uh, Ryan, when they're chasing down um, uh, uh, her father, um, Reverend the Reverend, 
It mm-hmm. goes from night to day so fast. It does. It does. You know, that's one of those uh, movie magic things, you know, of uh, 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 putting someone on the stake looks great at night, but a horseback ride chase uh, and a carriage chase does not look good at night. No. So, yeah, you know, night and day. Could be breaking dawn, you know, but there was a lot of light there just so you could see the action of what was going on. Also, the the writing in the episode uh, is so inconsistent with other episodes, and the people who wrote these episodes have written other episodes before, but Jack and Mickey, when they show up to rescue Ryan, don't do anything. No, Ryan, no, oh no, what are we going to do? We're just going to stand here and yell at stuff. Well, they did get a late start because they blew out a fuel pump on the Mercedes. Not once, but twice, it's mentioned, uh, in a couple days, so... They didn't do a lot for the the first part of that kind of rescue. They didn't do a lot <laughs> for any of episode. it. They did nothing in this episode. Yeah, they just kind of voiced their displeasure. I mean, let's face it. If Ryan and Mickey had not shown up, Ryan probably would have been okay by himself. They don't try and rescue Ryan from the burning stake. Mickey doesn't go with Lori to try and find the quilt either, which I thought was something that would do because Mickey you know, got to know Lori, Laura. Mm-hmm. A- am I wrong here? They literally do... Think about... Do you, have you ever heard the story about how um, in the Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, if Indiana Jones had done nothing at all, everything would have worked out exactly the way it was supposed to for the Nazis? Yeah, because they wouldn't have actually chosen uh, to maintain the, the Ark closed. It would have still been opened. Yeah, they but they would have been liquefied. They, yeah, they would have they would have opened the Ark of the Covenant. They would have killed themselves, and everything would have been fine. Yeah, yeah. They op- it, Nothing Indy did helped the plot of that movie along in any way for the Nazis. They would have done everything they were supposed to do anyway, and the results would have been the same. Possibly, I, I would I would agree with that because I think they were adamant about opening the Ark to see it before presenting it to the Fuhrer. I think the same way about Mickey and Jack showing back up. If they had stayed at the antique store, you know what I mean? Like, Well, he wouldn't have gotten his ride home, that's for sure. Oh, my God. He would have found a ride. Oh, my God. Mr. Zeneca, he would have found a freaking ride home. They did nothing. That was pointless for them to be in this episode, other than to be like, we miss Ryan. Yeah, I miss Ryan, too. Go back to the farm. Look at that. The whole plot line works out for itself or whatever. The father is uh, found out to be guilty. Laura gets the the quilt. Everything works out. Ryan would have shown back up with the quilt, and they would have been like, Ryan, oh, my God, what happened? And he would have, you know, passed out like he did. It's just nothing they do makes has any bearance on the plot line of the second episode. But it builds the emotional connection that Mickey has to Ryan because she really, really didn't want him to separate from her and, you know, go off on his own little, you know, uh, religious sect journey. I'm sorry, but I don't look at my cousins, my female cousins, the same way that Mickey looked at Ryan at the end of that episode. Yeah, I know, I know. We've talked about that. A little bit of incestuous whatevers, you know. But... The fact of the matter is, is that Mickey did not think that she could do this job without him. Whether or not there's other things going on, you know, in that feeling is a different matter. But she didn't think that she was strong enough to just do the job with Jack. So, you know, the tears coming down, like, I miss him, and and I don't want you to go. Um, That just built up that, you know, relationship, the emotional context there. It didn't further the plot, it just had gave it emotional context. Oh, uh, where's I have one on the note, um, and then I'm pretty much done, because again, I hated these two episodes so much. <laughs> well, I do have a couple of things uh, sure. left on the Sure, go ahead, because All I'm right. pretty much done for notes on the episode. I just, <laughs> I hated these episodes. <laughs> Alright, well, uh, the Amish have about 1,800 church districts within the 28 states of uh, USA and Canada. Wow. I'm not going to I'm not going to name which ones. That's okay. <laughs> do you actually uh, uh, Well, here's a question for you. Do you ever see the Amish a lot in the part of Pennsylvania you're from? Yes. You do all the time? 
Well, uh, the Reading Terminal Market, which is a very popular um, marketplace here, uh, they actually have uh, several stores there. So, yeah, you do run into them quite often. Would the, uh, what would the Amish's reaction be to what you do? You know what? I think it would be kind of a live and let live for the Amish. <laughs> that's, 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 their, that's their attitude on, on most things, is that it's live and let live. That's your life. Uh, it is not our ways. Um, you know, but we are not, to, we are not God, so we cannot judge you. Oh, really? Okay. I wasn't sure, like, you know, because what you do is, um, uh, in your, uh, you know, your part-time, you know, thing <laughs> of, uh, the, yeah. the, the kink of, uh, Pennsylvania and such, um, you know, their reaction to that would be very like, oh my. <laughs> I mean, it might be a shock, but, you know, really there's a lot of, uh, you know, flagellation and whatnot within the Christian mythos and culture of, you know, religiousness. <laughs> uh, but for them, they would not really judge me or what I do because uh, they are not the judgment that God is. Okay, so they really overplay how judgmental these people are. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. No, they're very kind people. Okay. So, uh, Amish versus Mennonite, you know, to tell the difference between the two. Uh, both are Anabaptist traditions, and what Anabaptist means is that they are against baptism at birth. So uh, infants are not baptized, only adults are baptized because they believe it is a choice to actually follow uh, their spiritual path. So uh, since both sects are Anabaptist traditions, and they are off the Protestant wing of the Catholic religion, so when you know, if you're taking a look at the tree of religions, uh, they are right underneath the Protestant wings like uh, Lutherans and Calvinists. Uh, the Amish follow the teachings from the leader Jacob Amman, and the Mennonites follow Menno uh, Simons. And that was all during the Protestant Reformation time period of about the 1600s. The uh, Mennonites are actually worldwide. Uh, there's about 700,000 uh, as of 1994, I think it was, about 700,000 around the world and about 300,000 of them within the United States. Uh, it originates from the Germanic, Swiss, and the area of the Netherlands uh, for the Mennonites, and the Amish are primarily you know, Dutch, like you, you hear the Dutch Amish, uh, but there are... Um, other types of Amish, there's between in the in the Amish and the Mennonites, there are actually subgroups within that. Don't really have any specific names for them, but they're either like more liberal or more conservative. They have different feelings as to how far they can push that boundary between what type of technology they can use. Like Mennonites can use tractors, they can use uh, machinery. They can drive cars. Amish cannot, so you'll find them like using buggies. I have seen uh, that, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but where that boundary gets pushed, or if someone else can use it in their stead, and they get the benefit from it, you know, there's different uh, subgroups that actually will push those boundaries or have different interpretations of that, uh, but the Amish are way stricter on what they can or cannot use. As I said, like the Amish don't have buttons. I think buttons are not plain enough. So That's... they use uh, ties for everything that they, they uh, their clothing. Um, let's see. I think that's about, about all my, my Amish midnight notes there. That's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's just hope we never have to go back to Amish country on this show again, or Ryan doesn't have to fall in love. Now, I get one thing about it, because I, I was thinking in my brain about this a little bit, being a little bit harsh on the writers. Um, and I can't write a good, better show, so don't leave any comments in the comment section about, oh, you can write a better show than you write the show. Um, don't troll us. Anyway, uh, Ryan yeah, has anyway. yeah. <laughs> Ryan has mentioned before that he had a shitty upbringing, or at least been alluding to it, which we we do come into play in that episode. I think 
coming up. I don't know if it's this season or next season, but there's an episode coming up where we're going to finally get to Ryan's backstory a little bit. Uh, Mickey doesn't much have a, a backstory, I don't think, other than uh, Lloyd, her ex-husband. Or, sorry, ex-fiance. Ex-fiance. Uh, ex-fiance. And we know Jack's backstory, uh, a lot more of his backstory recently, and we'll probably get more into it. But Ryan's backstory is going to be explored in an upcoming episode where he does seem to come from an abusive background, um, from his parents or, or father or something. So this might be what he's been looking for to give himself some peace. So... That being mm-hmm. said, uh, this is um, uh, my least favorite of the show, but I look forward to more episodes of Friday the 13th, the TV series, as we continue along with the uh, remainder of the first season. This, by the way, the season is very long for a TV series, but it might be because it's syndication. I'm not really sure. I don't know a lot about syndicated TV series and how their structure of episodes works versus normal television, but this season is 26 episodes long, and uh, after this episode, we kind of go on a... Uh, uh, we jump into June and then goes all the way till July, which is like really strange for television. But again, it is syndication, so they're not probably set in the same type of Nielsen ratings as you know whatever other show was on at this time. I think I, I think Cheers was on at this time, you know. Yeah, there's um, let's see here we've got 18th episode of Double Exposure, Pro- Pirates Promise, June 27th. Oh, it's actually midnight. I'm going to get on the air. So, <laughs> well, uh, thank you once again for joining me for the Dead TV Podcast, Mr. Zeneca. You can find us both on our individual sites uh, or Twitter pages, and you can find us on RadioHard.com, and you can also look for up, look us up on the Dead TV Podcast uh, Facebook page, and you can find me at Chris D. S-A-V. And I'm at Elegantly Kinky. And the show I do out at midnight, which happens to be midnight right now when we're recording, is the Dr. Chris Radio Horror Show in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. So look for me there. And I will also be at the Boston Science Fiction Film Festival this week. So you can, uh, if you happen to be listening and want to pop into that, I will be at that for off and on through the week. I actually have a movie that premieres at the Boston Film Festival tomorrow, or so t- later today, if this is now Monday when we're recording this, called Brute Sanity. Hmm. Excellent. Check it out, guys. Definitely. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks, Mr. Zeneca. Talk to you then. Bye. Thank you.